0: Hi guys, welcome to the Liz Wheeler Show. I'm Liz Wheeler. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, go on over to Apple Podcasts. Just pull it up on your phone right now while I'm talking. Hit that subscribe button. Or if you're on your laptop, bring up iTunes. Hit subscribe over there. On YouTube, you can find me at Liz Wheeler. Hit subscribe over there. Also, don't forget to ring the bell when you're on YouTube because that way I can send you notifications whenever a new episode drops or a new video or a new interview and you will be the first to know about that. And if you prefer Rumble, we're over on Rumble as well. I was reminded by by a subscriber to make sure to always mention Rumble. Uh, We're on Rumble at Liz Wheeler. You can hit the subscribe button over there. So what are we going to talk about on the show today? Tulsi Gabbard, the former congresswoman from the state of Hawaii, announced that she is leaving the Democratic Party. It's the first episode, actually, of her new podcast, The Tulsi Gabbard Show, and she lists a brutal, savage, litany of reasons why she's leaving the Democratic Party. So that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the reasons Tulsi Gabbard is leaving the Democrat Party and where she might land. She didn't say that she was going to be a Republican. She didn't say she was going to be an independent. She just didn't say. She just said that she is a disaffected member of the Democrat Party and encouraged other disaffected Democrats to likewise leave the party. Also, in Ohio, J.D. Vance and Tim Ryan had a debate for the Senate seat in Ohio, and my word, I don't know if you saw this or not, one of these candidates gave a masterful performance. In fact, I would argue that one of these candidates gave such a performance that it should be used almost as textbook training for other political candidates on how to win a debate, how to absolutely decimate your opponent. Actually, the two two men, J.D. Vance and Tim Bryan, are a perfect illustration of the new right and the new left. And I want to talk a little bit about the new right and the new left today because what we're seeing happen in the political environment in our country right now is we're seeing the realignment or a realignment of both parties, a realignment of who the Democrat Party is and a realignment of who the Republican Party is. That's why I call J.D. Vance and Tim Ryan the new right and the new left, because they're not, they're not your daddy's Republican party. They're not the Democrat party of the working man anymore. So what is this realignment going to produce on both sides of the aisle? How is this going to play out in the minds and the eyes of the voters? It's kind of already beginning to play out, but I want to talk about why we should expect a demographic change in the voters that Previously, have been loyal to one party or the other. So let's dig into it. All right, guys. I like Nutrafol because it's natural and it works. You might wonder how I get such thick, beautiful, shiny hair. Well, let me tell you, if you are struggling with hair loss or you want a fuller head of hair, there is a a holistic solution for you, for men and for women, that promote both healthier hair and whole body wellness. This is without drugs or prescriptions, which is one of the many reasons I like it. Nutrafol is clinically shown to improve hair growth thickness, and visible scalp coverage without compromise, and by compromise, we all know what I'm talking about. I'm not really one to use euphemisms here. You won't feel a decrease in your sex drive, which is what happens with a lot of similar supplements. Nutrafol is comprised of 21 potent natural ingredients that actually support sex drive, support better sleep, and less stress too. In a clinical study, men showed progressive improvement in hair growth and thickness after three and six months, which means that you can grow thicker, healthier hair and you can support our show win-win by going to Nutrafol.com and entering my promo code, Liz. If you use my promo code, you will save $15 off your first month's subscription. This is their best offer anywhere. It's available only to U.S. customers and for a limited time. Plus, of course, you will get free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com. It's spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code Liz. Nutrafol.com, promo code Liz. All right, so Tulsi Gabbard, who is the former congresswoman from the state of Hawaii. Tulsi Gabbard has announced that she is leaving the Democratic Party because she is so disaffected by what the Democratic Party has done to not just the American people as a whole, but to members of the Democratic Party who were members for particular reasons. Tulsi made this announcement on the first episode, the inaugural episode of her new show. She has a new podcast. It's called The Tulsi Gabbard Show. And she says, I can no longer remain in today's Democratic Party. And this is the reason why.
3: I can no longer remain in today's Democratic Party that's under the complete control of an elitist cabal of warmongers who were driven by cowardly wokeness who divide us by racializing every issue and stoking anti-white racism, who actively work to undermine our God-given freedoms that are enshrined in our constitution, who are hostile to people of faith and spirituality, who demonize the police but protect criminals at the expense of law-abiding Americans, who believe in open borders, who weaponize the national security state to go after their political opponents, and above all, who are dragging us ever closer to nuclear war. Now, I believe in a government that's of the people, by the people, and for the people. Unfortunately, today's Democratic Party does not. Instead, it stands for a government that is of, by, and for the powerful elite. Now, I'm calling on my fellow common sense, independent-minded Democrats to join me in leaving the Democratic Party if you can no longer stomach the direction that the so-called woke Democratic Party ideologues are taking our country, I invite you to join me.
0: I don't know, guys. She sounds like a Republican to me. She didn't say that she was going to join the Republican Party. She didn't say she was going to be an independent. She didn't talk about actually where she's going to go, where her new political home is. She just said that she was leaving the Democratic Party, but I don't know, it sounds, I mean, she sounds an awful lot like a Republican to me. In fact, she sounds more conservative than a lot of the squish Republican politicians that are serving in Congress right now. Imagine how many Republicans have supported this ongoing war in Ukraine. We just talked about this on the show yesterday, how the elite, not just the Democratic elite, but the Republican elite, the politicians in our country don't want victory in Ukraine. They don't want Ukraine to win the war. They want a protracted forever war like the Afghanistan-style war, where we're not actually seeking decisive victory and as quickly as possible. They want us to keep funding the war because it helps them enact domestic control over us. Tulsi Gabbard sounds more conservative than the Republicans who are on board with that global elitist agenda. When she talks about wokeism, when she talks about this this racialized Marxism, I mean, critical race theory, you can call it, or just outright racism, that the Democrats are pushing on corporations, they're pushing on pop culture, they're trying to indoctrinate our young children. Again, she sounds more conservative than a lot of Republicans. A lot of Republicans who kowtow to this narrative the Democratic uh, operatives try to use to pull the wool over our eyes. They tell us, oh, it's just teaching the reality of history teaching about slavery and what that meant for black people when we know that's that's a complete lie. The 1619 Project or Critical Race Theory or whatever you want to call it, how, whatever, however it's packaged, I should say, is not just teaching the reality of the history of our country. It's revisionist history and racialized Marxism. And Tulsi Gabbard is calling that out in a stronger way than many elected Republicans. Same with The weaponization of the Department of Justice, she calls it the security state because that encompasses a little bit more than the Department of Justice. So she's talking about all the alphabet soup agencies, this this administrative state apparatus that's supposed to be focused on keeping us safe, both domestically and abroad. So all the spy agencies, the NSA, the DIA, the CIA, the FBI, all of this, the Department of Justice, this has been weaponized against not not just the citizens of the country, which would be bad enough, but a specific portion of the citizens of our country. We're talking about conservatives. We're talking about Republicans. We're talking about any American who questioned the integrity of the 2020 election. We're not even allowed to question that, apparently. We're also not allowed, if we're pro-life, we're not allowed to pray outside of crisis pregnancy centers or pray outside of Planned Parenthood abortion clinics or else the FBI will raid us like a SWAT team. How many Republicans, by the way, and I I don't want to name names here, but cough, cough, Mitch McConnell, won't say anything about the way that the FBI has targeted January 6th defendants. Mitch McConnell doesn't even give money from his super PAC, which is the largest super PAC in the country dedicated to electing Republicans to the Senate. He doesn't give money from his super PAC to Republican Senate candidates who question the integrity of the 2020 election. He would rather have a Democrat serving in the Senate than a Republican majority if one of the Republicans dared to go against what he believes. He believes that January 6th was an insurrection. Tulsi Gabbard is more of a Republican than he is. Tulsi, I invite you, join the good side. Join the good side. I know it's a process. In fact, this process kind of reminds me of what happened with Dave Rubin, right? Dave Rubin was part of the Young Turks. It's, it's, it's kind of bananas if you think back to it. Like, think about, think about the Young Turks. Think about how there's all, there are always those, those screechy videos of them melting down over being... Anna Kasparian, one of the Young Turks, melted down over the idea that abortion might not be legal. She screamed and threw her pen and... uh. Jenk is always having a tantrum about something. It's hard to even narrow down what he's he's throwing stuff, throwing words about. Dave Rubin used to be a part of that. That's where his show was originally. And he became a a disaffected liberal. He saw that liberal policies, especially as it pertains to free speech, that liberal policies weren't actually about tolerance, weren't about allowing people to live their lives without the government trying to control them. He saw that modern liberal policies did not Did not match what he called his ideology classical liberalism. And he saw that modern leftism is about control. Modern leftism is Marxism. Modern leftism does want to not only control your speech, but control your thoughts and therefore control your behaviors. And so he became a disaffected liberal. He left the Young Turks, he left the Democratic Party. And for a while, he was politically homeless. And I know, you know, I know people like me would tease him about being politically homeless. I would say like, oh, are you just going to pretend that you're not a conservative? You're just going to pretend you're not a Republican? Because <laughs> that's what you are. That's what you are. And sure enough, you know, a year or two later when the, when the transition was complete, you know, he says, yeah, I actually am a conservative because classical liberalism is about free speech. Classical liberalism is about individual rights. Classical liberalism is about a limited government. And that's what the Republican Party and the conservative movement are dedicated to. So, this is what I see when I see Tulsi Gabbard. I see her following the footsteps of Dave Rubin on the same trajectory that, sure, maybe I would have loved to see her say, I quit the Democrats and I'm a proud conservative. But that's not always realistic. People have their own pace at which they take this process. And it's a big deal, right? I, I totally understand that. To make that jump and say, okay, I'm going to close the door on that season of life and I'm going to embrace a whole new identity, a group of people who I might've been critical of before, and this is going to be the foundation of me moving forward, that's a really hard thing to do. Even if on paper you can understand the logical reasons, like even if Tulsi Gabbard can understand the logical reasons why she left the Democratic Party and why her policies now align more closely with conservatives and the Republican Party than they do with the left, It's a very difficult thing, just in human nature, to make that switch, to leave something that you were attached to, and then to attach yourself, not just in the home, not in the politically homeless way, but to actually marry yourself then to the people who you used to consider your opposition. And so I jokingly invite Tulsi to join the good side, but I fully understand how difficult and what a slow moving process it can be to make that make that transition. But here, here's the larger point here besides just welcoming Tulsi to the good side, because she will be here sooner rather than later. But if you had told me 10 years ago that Tulsi Gabbard would disavow the Democrats or that she would be possibly flirting on the verge of becoming a Republican, I wouldn't have believed it. Because the Republican Party from 10 years ago is I don't want to say almost unrecognizable, but it has had a major metamorphosis into what I would term now to be the new right. And I I, I want to talk about, I I want to talk about this realignment that's happening, because it's not just happening on the right. There's a realignment that's happening among, uh, within the Democratic Party and within the Republican Party, and give it two, three, four, five more years, and I don't think that the Democrat Party and the Republican Party of 2025 will be anything like the Democrat Party and the Republican Party of 1995. And I, I wanna come back to that and expound a little bit more on that um, in, the in the philosophical sense in a minute. But I wanna, I wanna show a practical example of exactly what I mean, an example of what, what I think the new left is going to be and what the new right is certainly on its way to becoming. Um, this was perfectly exemplified, actually, in the Ohio Senate debate between Tim Ryan and J.D. Vance. And I, I want to talk about that in a second, but first I want to talk about Beam Organics. Did you know that poor sleep can cause weight gain, mood issues, poor mental health, and lower productivity? And that if you sleep less than six to seven hours per night, it's linked to reduced white blood cell count. Now, white blood cells protect our body against illness and disease, fighting viruses, bacteria, and more. And not many people realize this, but having a consistent nighttime routine is so important, not just to how you feel or how you look, but to your body's overall health. Well, let me tell you, a better tomorrow starts tonight. Introducing Beam Dream. Beam is the world's most innovative functional wellness brand with unique products for everything from sleep to recovery. And today... My listeners get a special discount for Beam's sleep product. It's called Dream Powder. It is their best-selling healthy hot cocoa. It contains natural sleep-promoting premium ingredients. It's triple lab tested, no THC, and you wake up refreshed. Let me tell you guys, this is what sold me. You know I'm a data girl. 98% of people surveyed fall asleep faster when taking Beam Dream, and 99% of people experience better sleep quality. All you do is you mix Beam Dream into hot water or milk, you stir it, and you enjoy it 30 minutes before bedtime. If you don't love it, you can get your money back guaranteed. For a limited time, you can get $20 off when you go to beamorganics.com Liz and use my promo code Liz at checkout. That is B-E-A-M organics.com Liz and use promo code Liz for $20 off at checkout. Okay, so the Ohio Senate race that happened between or the debate I should say in the Ohio Senate race that happened in Ohio between Tim Ryan and JD Vance is a pretty good illustration of where of the future of the Democratic Party and the future of the Republican Party or this realignment that I'm talking about this this shakeup within both parties that's how it's it's actually funny that it's happening at the same time because when when political parties evolve in their ideology it doesn't typically happens simultaneously. It doesn't happen that the Democrat Party evolves and the Republican Party evolves at the same time. And then, you know, like a tadpole turns into, turns into the new kind of frog that they're going to be. But this is a pretty good example of what I'm talking about. So I think it's very clear J.D. Vance absolutely crushed this debate. I have rarely seen someone in a debate conduct the debating part of the debate so masterfully. The J.D. Vance's performance against Tim Ryan can actually be a textbook example, training materials to other political candidates on how to win a debate, how to operate from everything from your demeanor, the poise, the tone of voice, the tenor of voice, the topical choices of what to say and how to say it. I mean, what J.D. Vance did is he first, he acknowledged what voters cared about. And this is this is a mistake that a lot of Republicans make is they come to voters and they say, this is what we think you should care about. And voters are like, what? No, th- this is what we care about. And Republicans try to convince voters to care about what Republicans in Washington, D.C. care about. But what J.D. Vance did this week is he spoke directly to voters about what they cared about. And he offered or he showed voters how conservative values best serve them best serve or best fulfill the needs and the desires that voters have already previously articulated. So it's, it's a way of politicians meeting voters on their own playing field, which is what politicians are supposed to do, because voters elect politicians to represent their needs. Politicians have just gotten way off track. The other thing that J.D. Vance did is he, he played offense in a way that oftentimes Republican candidates are afraid to do. He played offense by flipping. The stupid attacks from the Democrat, from Tim Ryan, or in the questions, he flipped those attacks, not not in a defensive way. He certainly debunked them, and he roundly debunked them, but he didn't stop there. He debunked them, and then he highlighted the extreme position of the Democratic Party the extreme position of Tim Ryan and how Tim Ryan has been a part of the extreme position of the Democratic Party as a whole. And throughout this, throughout this entire throughout the entirety of this debate, JD Vance was calm, he was poised, he was in charge. I mean, Tim Ryan was like agitated and fidgety, and like his 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 body language was just horrendous. You'll see this when we look at when we look at a video in just a second. But JD was just unafraid to stand up for what's right which it has become sometimes a lost art among the Republican Party. So the, the, the first example of this is Tim Ryan tried to attack J.D. Vance on abortion. And what, what does the pro-abortion left always do? They always take it to this hyperbolic scenario where if, if you and I say, listen, we believe life begins at conception. We think that abortion should be illegal because it's ending a human life. We don't have a right to end a human life based on their location in the mother's womb. The Democrats always say, okay, but what about if a 10-year-old child was raped? And there was that story, as you remember, from Ohio, of the 10-year-old girl that was raped and impregnated and wanted an abortion. And Tim Ryan tried to weaponize that story against J.D. Vance and this is how Vance responded. As an exception.
2: Look, I've always believed in reasonable exceptions. This is a misrepresentation of my view, but let's hear it from me, not from Congressman Ryan. Uh, I I absolutely think the 10-year-old girl, the case that we've, of course, heard a lot about, an incredibly tragic situation. I mean, look, I've got a 9-year-old baby girl at home. I cannot imagine what that's like for the girl, for her family. God forbid something like that would happen. I have said repeatedly on the record that I think that that girl should be able to get an abortion if she and her family so choose to do so. But let's talk about that case. Because why was a 10-year-old girl raped in our community, raped in our state in the first place? The thing the media and Congress and Ryan, they talk about this all the time, the thing they never mentioned is that that poor girl was raped by an illegal alien, somebody that should have never been in this state in the first place. You voted so many times against border wall funding, so many times for amnesty, Tim. If you had done your job, she would have never been raped in the first place. Do your job on border security. Don't lecture me about opinions I don't actually have.
0: Did you see Tim Ryan's body language? He's literally standing there like a child standing in the corner being punished. Tim Ryan, I mean, this is how a debate is done. J.D. Vance, I mean, what a horrendous story, a heartbreaking story, a tragedy. Tim Ryan is trying to use this as a political weapon against J.D. Vance. And J.D.'s like, wait a second, wait a second. What you're talking about is you're talking about an abortion, something that objectively kills the life of an unborn baby, something that objectively will cause harm to this 10-year-old child. And instead of talking about that, why don't we talk about what could prevent this from ever happening in the first place. There's just, guys, I don't think there's any, any comeback that you could possibly give to that. Like, do Democrats not want to prevent the rape of a 10-year-old girl? That's the position that J.D. Vance put Tim Ryan in when Tim Ryan thought he had, you know, he thought he had this great argument against Vance. He played offense. J.D. Vance turned this on its head and played offense in a completely valid way. This wasn't a fake attack. This is true. There are illegal aliens in our communities that are harming us. And they shouldn't be here, but Democrats have made them here. So then then JD talks about Tim Ryan's record on harming women, on his voting record. And this is, of course, related to transgender issues. And I gotta tell you, before we even watch this clip, this answer delighted me because so many Republican candidates, even when we have the conservative movement who is not elected officials, that's us, Even when the conservative movement is talking about transgender issues, whether it's transing children, whether it's the indoctrination in school, whether it's parents not being told that their kids are transitioning at at public schools, whether it's biological males competing on women's sports teams, you'll notice that our elected officials are the ones that are the quietest about this. So I was delighted that J.D. Vance was so comfortable, so willing to jump right into this.
2: And look, Tim Ryan just accused me of being extreme on the LGBT issue. This is a guy who voted just a couple of months ago, right, for the Equality Act, the so-called Equality Act that would literally remove federal funding for free and reduced lunch programming for schools that don't let biological males participate in biological female sports. The extremist here, Tim, is you. And again, I don't expect you to actually answer the substance of what I said, but let's just at least be honest with voters about what our actual views are.
0: And again, Tim Ryan, hand in his pocket, head down. He knows when he's being pummeled. He knows when he's on the losing side of this. But what does J.D. Vance do? He's playing offense. He's taking an unfair attack that Tim Ryan had levied on him, trying to make him sound like he was intolerant to LGBTQ people or some silly something, and turning this into what it is, which is a Democrat assault on biological women, physically and not physically. Physically, but also just as a sex, obliterating, abolishing biological women by allowing men who claim to identify as women to be categorized as women. So then, of course, in Ohio, this is my home state. I feel very strongly about this race, as you guys can probably tell, because I love Ohio. My parents and a lot of my family live there. I go back and visit Ohio all the time. Ohio is a swing state, obviously. Um, Whoever wins Ohio in presidential races, oftentimes, the majority of the time, wins the presidency, it's called the heart of the Midwest for a reason because that's what it is. Again, I told you I was biased and I am biased, but Tim Ryan has taken a very extreme position on fracking and in and, and the energy industry, and that greatly, greatly hurts Ohio, the, the state that he claims that he wants to represent in the United States Senate, and J.D. was not having a minute of that.
2: Tim Ryan just told a big fib. He said he supported Ohio's natural gas industry, and he's always done so. And yet, Tim Ryan, when he ran for president, was not two years ago, you supported banning fracking, both on public lands and generally speaking. That crushes the Ohio energy sector, and that's one of the reasons why manufacturers are going to China.
0: So think about this from the perspective of an Ohio working class neighborhood, right? This is a bunch of families who are trying to make ends meet, a bunch of families who are maybe working paycheck to paycheck to pay their bills. Their energy bills go up as a result of Tim Ryan's quote unquote green energy policies, his anti-fracking policies. This this really hurts. Ohioans, especially when their jobs, when what, what J.D. said is not just bad because of the geopolitical battle between the United States and China, that we don't want China to be stronger than us. This hurts our kitchen, us at the kitchen table as well. Because when when working class people lose their jobs in these neighborhoods in Ohio, how are they supposed to pay the bills? This, this, is, this, is, this is what I meant when I said before that J.D. is meeting voters where their pre-existing needs are. He's not pretending to come in and say, let me teach you about why you should care about X, Y, Z. He's saying, what do you, what, what do you care about? What is, what is something that stresses you out in your life? What do you need to support your family? And he's showing them how his policies, conservative policies at the federal level can protect the lives of the people of Ohio. And w- one of the tragic things about Ohio is my state, the state that I love, has suffered from the opioid crisis and the fentanyl crisis in an extraordinary way in the past few years in a tragic way unfortunately the number of opioid deaths and fentanyl deaths in Ohio is one of the highest in the entire nation this should be the priority for congressional members members of congress at the state level in Ohio but at the federal level too because it is because it is a matter of taking on big pharma it is a matter of taking on the mexican drug cartels this is the source of where these these deadly um these deadly drugs come from and JD Vance, I mean, you guys probably read his book, Hillbilly Elegy, right? This was his life growing up. His life was just wrecked by by the drug crisis in Ohio. And this is what he had to say about it and Tim Ryan's impact on it now.
2: Yes, the fentanyl crisis is way worse than it was two years ago. Why is it way worse? Because Tim Ryan and Joe Biden have conspired together to reject every border wall funding proposal to reject every proposal to cut off the amnesty to reject every proposal that would actually secure our border and stop thanks, the mr. flow Bisk. of these illegal drugs thanks mr vis
0: Okay and then this is actually one of my favorite lines I'm sure this was a pre-prepared line I'm totally in favor of politicians pre-preparing lines for debates because it's not it's not false it's not fake it's just a uh, a way to distill what you want to say about your opponent into the most effective verbiage, the most effective language possible. And JD Vance, I thought encapsulated what a fraud Tim Ryan is, what this this shallow swamp creature he is so well um, when when he actually challenged him on a bit of policy and Tim Ryan had no answer about the policy. And JD's like, yeah, I backed you into that corner on purpose because I know you don't know about policy. Take a listen to this.
2: to point out something that Tim Ryan just did. One, I answered the question about same-sex marriage and I identified very specifically a couple of problems with the legislation. Tim didn't address that. He just pretended that it didn't exist. Because here's the problem with Tim Ryan. He spent 20 years in Washington, D.C. He actually doesn't care about the details of public policy, and I'm sure he didn't even read the bill that he voted on. What he does is he reads the canned lines that his consultants give him. You could respond to the argument that I made, Tim. Instead, you decided to pretend again that I have views I don't actually hold, so you can't Look, it's insulting. Voters deserve somebody who actually respects their views and speaks honestly to them about the issues. That's not what Tim's doing tonight.
0: (laughs) I think that's the best thing to call out Tim Ryan for not knowing the policy not knowing what's in the bill he voted for and this this is i mean it's it's an open secret right that politicians that are swamp creatures really do just repeat talking points they pretend they're the experts they pretend they're doing the work but they're not they're the figurehead for this this under this the underbelly of the swamp which is political consultants and lobbyists and that's what Tim Ryan does and man JD just smoked him for that so to be fair then how did Tim Ryan try to get J.D., did he have any, what what was his narrative? What was his argument to Ohio voters that J.D. would be bad and that Tim Ryan would be good? Well, I'm gonna show you that in just a second, but first I wanna talk about Upside. Upside is a new sponsor on our show, one I'm delighted to have, because we're all suffering from inflation. It's hitting us all where it hurts, whether it's at the gas pump, whether it's at your favorite restaurant. It's bad, it really hurts. That's why I started using Upside. Upside is an incredible app for anyone who buys gas or buys groceries or dines out which means all of us. With every purchase, I'm actually earning cash back thanks to Upside. Upside is not too good to be true. I've used it. It works. To get started, all you have to do is download the free Upside app. You can use my promo code to get started, Liz5, and you will get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. Here's how it works. After you download the app, then you claim an offer for whatever you're buying. You claim it on Upside. You just check in at the business. You pay, as usual, with a credit or debit card, and then you get paid. Now, in comparison to credit cards, rewards, or loyalty programs, you can earn three times more cash back with Upside. Upside users are earning more than a million dollars every week. So download the free Upside app and use my promo code, Liz5, to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. That's $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. If you use my promo code, Liz5, highly suggest that you download the, the free Upside app today. Okay, so Tim Ryan's response, his overarching narrative, the argument he was making to the people of Ohio about why they should vote for him, Tim Ryan, over J.D. Vance is essentially just a a recycled use of a narrative that I think you'll recognize. Take a listen.
2: Kill and confront the extremist movement of which J.D. Vance, unfortunately, is a part of right? Who says that the president of the United States is intentionally trying to kill people with fentanyl? Who says that the election was stolen? J. D. Vance does. Who runs around with Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, who wants to ban books? You're running around with Lindsey Graham, who wants a national abortion ban. You're running around with Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's the absolute looniest politician in America. This is a dangerous group, and we do need to confront it. And that's why I'm running to represent the exhausted majority, Democrats, Republicans, and independents, against the extremists.
0: Okay, so they're encapsulated in just a very, very short phrase is Tim Ryan's strategy, kill and confront the extremists. Let me tell you why this is not going to work on the people of Ohio. Because the people of Ohio tend to be swing voters. They're not ideologically hardcore Democrats, nor are they ideologically hardcore Republicans. What they are is they're looking for politicians who will serve their interests, politicians who will protect their right to to live their lives, to make money, to provide for their family, to to praise God and worship and to make decisions over their children's education and just be families. It's called the heart of the Midwest for a reason. But what the people of Ohio will never stand for as being labeled as domestic terrorists. What the people of Ohio don't want to be told is that they're bad people. These people, remember, the people of Ohio voted for Obama and then they voted for Trump. And they go back and forth between Democrat and Republican. And it—it's this is exactly the strategy that we heard from Joe Biden when he was calling everyone extremists, you know, his gates of hell speech. I don't understand this strategy. Does Tim Ryan think standing there and looking people in the eye who voted for Trump and telling them that they're evil because they voted for Trump, but now they should vote for Tim Ryan as he stands there and calls them evil, do you think that's gonna work? Listen, the last thing that would ever convince someone to change parties is to be told that they are racist when they're not racist, to be told that they are sexist when they're not sexist, to be told that they're xenophobic when they're not xenophobic, to be told that they're transphobic when they're not transphobic, to be told that they're extreme when they are not extreme. I'm glad Tim Ryan shared with us what he thinks of the people of Ohio. I'm glad he shared what his view is because I think the people of Ohio will roundly, roundly reject that. So the reason that I wanted to talk about this today is because Tim Ryan standing on that stage, J.D. Vance standing on that stage, they are a perfect illustration of the new left and of the new right. We are seeing in front of our very eyes a realignment of both political parties. The Democratic Party is not going to be what it was 10 years ago. The Republican Party is not going to be what it was 10 years ago. And... This is an example. This Senate race is maybe of all the Senate races in our country. Maybe the one in Arizona between Blake Masters and Mark Kelly is 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 equal in illustrating the new right versus the new left. Although I, I guess I would argue that Mark Kelly is more of the old left while Blake Masters is the new right. But I want to break down what, what the realignment of both parties, how this is happening and how they're changing. Tulsi, and go back to Tulsi for a second, Tulsi Gabbard is a really good example of this as well, because Tulsi's view on foreign policy, for example, would never have been welcome in the Republican Party 10 years ago or in the Republican Party 15 years ago or 20 years ago. Tulsi has a very almost isolationist. She's probably more isolationist even than I am. I'm sort of that third point on the triangle where I'm like, okay, let's let's analyze and see if it's in our national interest to get involved in some in some foreign affair. I'm not I'm not an interventionist, not an isolationist, sort of. Halfway between that, the I guess is America first or Reagan, you know, Reagan's um, deterrence or American interest type of foreign policy. But Tulsi has a much more isolationist view that would never have been accepted in the Republican Party 10, 15, 20 years ago. It is now, though. There are actually a lot of isolationists in the Republican Party because of what the old right latched onto. The old right latched onto forever wars. The old right latched on to being swamp creatures, to being establishment Republicans. And what, but what I mean when I say establishment Republicans, I mean big spenders. They weren't about limited government anymore. They pretended to be about tax cuts for the American people. And sometimes they produce tax cuts and that's great. But overall, they grew the size and the breadth of the federal government and they spent so much money. And this caused a lot of younger conservatives to feel disaffected with the Republican Party, the way that Tulsi is disaffected with the Democrat Party. And so the the old right was also, is also, they're not gone yet, is also very cowardly on social issues. The old right has no interest. They had no interest. They've proved this this is not, this is not my speculation. They had no interest in fighting back against the LGBTQ lobby. They had no, the new, the old right had no interest in trying to defend traditional marriage beyond maybe having it in their party platform. They had no interest in fighting the culture war on abortion, the culture war on the LGBTQ lobby, the culture war on parental rights. No interest whatsoever. Just forever wars, lots of spending, some good economic things, and cowardice on social issues. And so this birthed, or it's in the process of birthing the new right. The new right that's actually committed to winning the culture war. The new right that understands that the culture is the bulwark in our nation between direct assaults on our form of government by a political movement, the left, that wants to destroy our form of government. Culture stands in the way. And if culture is not defended, then our system of government will fall because our system of government can't survive unless we have a strong culture rooted in morality and traditional values. And what I mean by that is our culture or our government cannot stand if we don't have strong family units because our government, our our system of government is created as a limited system of government. They're not created as a big welfare state. And if you don't have family, the family unit children relying on the family, spouses relying on each other, these autonomous units of family, then those individuals would then be dependent on our government. And our government is not equipped, not created to handle that. The new right understands that the Marxists who have co-opted the left, the Democratic Party, are using critical race theory and queer theory to indoctrinate children to create the next generation of Americans who will be committed revolutionaries to destroy that family unit. This the, the new right is not embarrassed to talk about uncomfortable issues. This is something that you will see in older republicans that they they're they're actually embarrassed to talk about abortion. They're actually embarrassed to talk about queer theory. They're actually embarrassed to talk about racism. They don't want to talk about any of that stuff. They just want to talk about their their, their legislation. they just want to talk about you know their, their Paul Ryan Medicare Medicare calculations, that kind of stuff. Not that that's not important in its place, but the culture war is super important. The new rights understands and acknowledges that morality exists, not just as we define it that we're not we, we can't be a libertarian John Lockean nation and survive. The new right understands that if we don't acknowledge that morality exists and morality is rooted in God and that it is in the government's best interest to promote that, not force it, but promote it, then we're going to be vulnerable culturally to these attacks on cultural institutions that are the bulwark against the Marxist attack on government institutions. The new right, don't let anyone in the old right or anyone in the mainstream media or anyone in the left tell you that the new right is naive or uneducated, the new right understands the importance of fighting critical race theory and queer theory and fighting for parental rights. And the new right, how how did this come to be? Well, Donald Trump did spawn the new right in a sense. He was maybe the first indication that this existed in our country or this, this Appetite for a realignment of the Republican Party because when he spoke to disaffected working class Americans, Democrat and Republican, the response was overwhelming in 2016, right? That's one of the reasons that President Trump won. And so he he brought to light the fact that people were dissatisfied, not just with the Democratic Party, but with the Republican Party as well. So it went from Donald Trump to Ron DeSantis, who showed not just the people of Florida, but showed the American people that, hey, the people want to use the powers of the government to protect our cultural institutions. But then there's been another evolution already. It went from Donald Trump to Ron DeSantis. And guys, it then evolved to us. I was, I was talking at the last conference I was at, I was talking to Rachel Bovard, who, is, um, who is, is part of the NatCon movement. And we were talking about how the new right, specifically on Twitter, are actually leading the politicians. It's not the politicians. Like the old right used to be the ones that would create the talking points and and sort of disseminate the talking points to all of the the right-wing media. The right-wing media would would just parrot or rephrase what the Republican establishment had decided was the talking point of the day. It's opposite in the new right. The new right, the voters actually set the narrative. The voters lead the way and the politicians follow. That is properly ordered government. This is what I mean when I say there's been a realignment in the Republican Party. So this realignment is on social issues. It's also on foreign policy because the new right understands that the forever wars that the old right waged are not sustainable. They're dangerous. They're a national security threat. And they're destructive to our economy when we spend all of that money, especially when it doesn't have a, a, an end point when victory is not the objective. Decisive, quick victory is not the objective. So there we have the new right. And then then the the left is also having a realignment at the same time. The old left, you know the old left was like the New Deal policies, like big government welfare state policies, tolerance for, for everything from abortion to LGBTQ. But the old left, and you can think of maybe like Bill Clinton as the old left, right? Not Hillary Clinton, but Bill Clinton was the old left. But the policies of the old left ignored Democrat voters. The policies of the old left might have sounded okay when they were verbalized by politicians, but you put them into practice and they create a stagnation among particularly the working class or the black community or the Hispanic community that the Democrats claimed to be the champion of. And I would categorize the old left as being very naive. It was their naivete that actually paved the, paved the way for this very radical new left, these, these modern Marxists that have hijacked the Democrat Party. The new left openly embraces Marxism, whether it's the Black Lives Matter movement, whether it's the squad that embraces socialism, you know, AOC and, and all and Ilhan Omar and Ayanna Pressley and Cori Bush, all of them. The new left is... is doesn't respect the sovereignty of our country. I mean, they're open borders. They they want abortion on demand until the moment of birth. They want, um, they want to defund the police. They don't want to prosecute. They don't want prosecutors to prosecute violent criminals. They want to let people out of prison, no cash bail, which lets violent criminals back in the street where they have already demonstrated that they will commit further crimes, victimizing more people. They push critical race theory and queer theory. They want parents excluded from their children's lives. They think children are wards of the state and not under the dominion of their parents and their family. The new left demonizes men, particularly white men. They completely disavow due process under the law when a man is accused, especially of something related to sexual wrongdoing. They have no presumption of innocence, which is the bedrock value of our, of our criminal justice system. They, Thanks to the new left and their radical climate change alarmism, we see this quote-unquote green energy economy happening, and this green energy economy is inflation. It's gas prices, it's energy bills that are skyrocketing, it's insanity. This is the new left. This is very different than what the old left was. The new left is so aggressive, so anti-American, that it's driven people like Tulsi Gabbard to say, wait a second, maybe I was for tolerance. Maybe I was okay with larger welfare programs in the government, but I'm not okay with the government being weaponized against the other side. I'm not okay with forever wars. I'm not okay with defund the police. I'm not okay with racialism. And so what, what we're seeing right now is we're seeing the end of the old left and the beginning of the new left. And when, we see, when, when the old left, at least the, the voting electorate, the electorate of the old left sees what the new left is, we're going to see a realignment of voters as well as parties. And meanwhile, we see this realignment of the old right into the new right And we, my friends, are about to see a radical demographic shift in which voters support which party. Tulsi Gabbard is not some isolated incident. Tulsi Gabbard is going to be the beginning of an avalanche. I'm talking Hispanic voters who value their religion, who value their family units, who value educational freedom. I'm talking black voters who are beyond disaffected with the crime rates in inner cities, with their children being told that they are oppressed inherently based on the color of their skin. Black voters who are disaffected because they've been used as pawns in the left's nasty, nasty political games. I'm talking working class voters of both parties across the nation who have seen their taxes go up, their paychecks shrink, have seen their jobs be shipped overseas, have seen their lives been upended. And I'm talking too about suburban women, this, this, this unicorn demographic that both Republicans and Democrats are always trying to appeal to. Democrats appeal to suburban women based on abortion, but the new right is appealing to suburban women based on educational freedom, what's best for you and your children and your family. You should have the right to decide what's taught to your children, not some Marxist from the new left. We are going to see one of the biggest changes in demographics of voters of both parties that we have seen in American history. And the shift, guys, is already happening, and I'm totally here for it. Okay now for the bananas video of the day. This is not exactly what she intended it to be. This is Congresswoman Cori Bush talking about her experience with abortion and she's trying to make some point about being the victim of racism, but that's not the point that she makes.
1: So I I was thinking back to the first abortion. Okay, you've done this before, you know the rooms, you know what it looks like, you know what it feels like In, in this place, you know what to expect you know, um that you may experience even some harm or some racism in this in this space. Like I thought I was ready. Because you had um, experienced racism I, previously. I had. So I thought I was ready. And I went in and I went through all the steps because there were like you it's almost like an assembly line, you know, you go from room to room. And I got into the last room. I I was helped up onto the table by the nurse and I laid there and I started to think, well, one, I didn't tell the father that that was about to happen. Um, I, and I just, I just felt like I needed more time. So I said, no, you know what, I'm not ready.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the nurse just, you know, wouldn't listen to me. And I said, no, I'm not ready. And as I'm saying no, they continued to pull the instruments and, you know, get everything ready. And, and it was just like, no, calm down. You know, no, you're gonna be okay. So you were telling them that was, you didn't want to move forward. Yes. And they were ignoring you. They were, oh, they absolutely ignored me, um, even to the point of, you know, like, calm down, as if I was the problem.
0: I don't think there's a single thing in politics that I agree with this woman on, and my heart literally breaks hearing this story. She was coerced into an abortion she didn't want. I mean, you talk about consent. The Democratic Party pretends that they are... That there are the, the hashtag me too consent, say yes before you move forward party. She literally said no. And these doctors violated her body and killed her baby without her consent. What they did should be illegal. They should be prosecuted and thrown in prison for what they did to her. Here's the thing about the left Cori Bush had a bad experience with abortion, and the left doesn't care. They don't care about women's actual experience with abortion. All they care about is pretending that abortion is all sunshine and butterflies. But when a a woman, even a leftist woman, has a bad experience with abortion, they're silent because they don't want the reality of abortion to be known. They don't want you to feel what you're feeling when you listen to how horrendous her experience was. She did experience racism. The abortion industry is rooted in racism. Planned Parenthood targets black women specifically to abort black babies. Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, was a eugenicist who wanted to exterminate the black population. Cori Bush knew that abortion was wrong. That's why she had doubts. She knew it was a baby. She didn't want to go through with it. She's trying to make some other points by telling this story, but the real point, the point that we hear, the point that we know is true, is that abortion is wrong and she was harmed by it. All right, join me over on Locals. We're gonna talk about Kanye West's infamous tweet. Yes, the anti-Semitic tweets. We're gonna completely break down that tweet and how to think about it and how we as conservatives should respond to it. So join me, com slash Locals. That's com slash Locals. Thank you for watching today. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler, this is The Liz Wheeler Show.
2: plus.